0: This is the Music Halls of Fame podcast. This week, we honor the year in music for 2003, along with a member of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame class of 2003. We also look at the case for putting Rage Against the Machine into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And our Spotlight Hall of Fame is the Songwriters Hall of Fame in Los Angeles, California. Before we get going with the podcast, like everyone tells you, please like, subscribe, and hit the notification bell so you'll know when these podcast episodes drop, which is usually every Thursday. Now, on to this week's episode. The year was 2003. In music for that year, producer Phil Spector was arrested and later convicted for the death of actress Lana Clarkson. Michael Jackson was also arrested that year on child molestation charges. He would later be found not guilty, at least in a court of law, not so much in a court of public opinion. A fire at a nightclub in Rhode Island claimed 100 lives when pyrotechnics set off during a performance by the group Great White set the nightclub on fire, quickly spreading and then trapping people inside. The Dixie Chicks created controversy when they came out against the Iraq War, which at the time had high public approval ratings. That would later change. The iTunes store opened online on April 28th of that year, saving the music industry from itself. The Recording Industry Association of America started suing fans who downloaded music illegally. Celine Dion started a trend when she started her residency shows in Las Vegas, and then pop and rock stars doing month-long and multi-year concert runs in casinos in Vegas soon became the norm again after Elvis and the Rat Pack had done it a couple decades earlier. Groups that were formed in 2003 included the Cheetah Girls, Chloe and Hallie, Gnarls Barkley, Equilibrium, Nina Sky, Ramses, and the Pussycat Dolls. Groups that either broke up or took extended breaks in 2003 included BB Mac, Black Flag, Men Without Hats, Pantera, The Cranberries, Quiet Riot, Propeller Heads, Remy Zero, The Righteous Brothers, The Rollins Band, S Club 7, Gangstar, Gravity Kills, Seville, Stone Temple Pilots, Suede, Winger, and Wild Orchid. As usual, a bunch of those groups got back together for a tour or two. Speaking of which, groups that did get back together in 2003 included The Stooges and Edge of Sanity. Artists who were born in 2003 included Olivia Rodrigo, The Kid Leroy, Bad Barbie, and Polina Bogusevich. Artists who unfortunately passed away in 2003 included Johnny Cash, his wife June Carter Cash, Maurice Gibb of the Bee Gees, Warren Zevon, Johnny Paycheck, Nina Simone, Edwin Starr, Noel Redding of the Jimi Hendrix Experience, flute player Herbie Mann, the maestro of love himself Mr. Barry White, the Queen of Salsa Miss Celia Cruz, country singers Slim Dusty, Robert Palmer, Elliot Smith, country singer Don Gibson, and Bobby Hatfield, and rappers Sabotage Camouflage, Half a Mill, and Soulja Slim. Fifty Cent had the biggest album of the year on the pop charts with "Get Rich or Die Trying." Other big albums were by Nora Jones, Linkin Park, Evanescence, Outkast, Beyonce's debut solo album, R. Kelly, Hilary Duff, Toby Keith, and Coldplay. Fifty Cent also scored the number one single of two thousand three on the Hot One Hundred Singles chart with "Into Club." Other hit songs were R. Kelly's Ignition, Sean Paul's Get Busy, Beyonce and Jay-Z's Crazy in Love, Three Doors Down's When I'm Gone, Matchbox 20's Unwell, Chingy's Right Durr, Aaliyah's Miss You, Kid Rock and Sheryl Crow's Picture, and Evanescence's Bring Me to Life. In country music, Alan Jackson and Jimmy Buffett had the biggest hit of the year with It's Five O'Clock Somewhere. Other big country singles were by Cheryl Crow, Mark Wills, Daryl Worley, Kenny Chesney, Toby Keith, and Willie Nelson. Blake Shelton, Dierks Bentley, and Lone Star. Toby Keith, Brenda Lee, Joe D. Macia, Leanne Rimes, Trace Atkins, and Alan Jackson all had best selling greatest hits albums that year. Other big country albums were released by Dirk Bentley, Brooks and Dunn, Martina McBride, Brad Paisley, George Strait, Daryl Worley, Wynonna, Gary Allen, Chris Cagle, and Buddy Jewel. In hip-hop, the biggest album was the aforementioned 50 Cent with Get Rich or Die Tryin'. Other big albums in hip-hop were released by Jay-Z, G-Unit, Obi Trice, Ludacris, Lil' Kim, Jay Dilla, Fabulous, Joe Budden, Chingy, T.I., The Neptunes, DMX, Outkast, Eminem, Ja Rule, and Missy Misdemeanor, Elliot. As far as singles went, 50's aforementioned In The Club was the biggest, but he also had competition, mainly from himself. Specifically, the songs 21 Question, P.I.M.P., and Wanksta. Other hits were by Ludacris, Nelly, Jay Z, Eminem, Fabulous Pharrell, Snoop Dogg, G Unit, Chingy, and a song by legendary wrestler Randy Muscleman Savage called "Remember Me," which went to number one. Go figure. In Latin music, Juanes was the biggest act. But also having big years that year in music were Celia Cruz, Ricky Martin, Shakira, Cumbia Kings, Ricardo Ojonio, and La India. On the dance charts, the pop and R&B crossover artists who had hits were a rather eclectic bunch. Among them were Madonna, Mariah Carey, Justin Timberlake, Daniel Bedingfield, and Elvis Presley and the Rolling Stones. Yes, you heard that right. Paul Oakenfold did a remix of Elvis's song Rubberneckin', and there was a remix of the Stones classic Sympathy for the Devil. Those songs both hit number one that year. As far as the more legit dance artists, weekend players Boomcat, Christine W, Anastasia, Robbie Rivera, Funky Green Dogs, Laura Passini. Chris Cox, Becky Bailing, and Deborah Cox all had big 2003s. At the Grammy Awards for the music of 2003, Outkast became the first hip hop act to win Best Album for their album, *Speakerbox*. The Love Below. Coldplay won Record of the Year for Clocks, Luther Vandross and Richard Marks won Song of the Year for Dance With My Father, and Evanescence won Best New Artist, At the American Music Awards, Madonna won Artist of the Year. At the Billboard Music Awards, 50 Cent won Artist of the Year. At the MTV Video Music Awards, Madonna kissed Britney Spears and Christina Aguilera, which was all anybody could talk about at that point. But aside from that, the Video of the Year actually went to Missy Misdemeanor Elliott for the song Work It. At the Eurovision Singing Contest that was held in Latvia, Turkey won for the song Every Way That I Can. At the Tony Awards, Hairspray won Best Musical and Nine won Best Revival of a Musical. The Pulitzer Prize for Music was won by John Adams for On the Transmigration of Souls, Steve Reich for Three Tales, and Paul Schoenfield for Camp Songs musically at the Academy Awards, the movie The Return of the King won both music categories with the song Into the West winning Best Song and Howard Shore winning Best Original Score. The 2003 Rock and Roll Hall of Fame induction ceremony was held on March 10th of that year at the Waldorf Astoria Hotel on Park Avenue in New York City. During that ceremony, the hall inducted drummer Benny Benjamin, pianist Floyd Kramer, and saxophonist Steve Douglas into the Sidemen category. Record executive Mo Austin was inducted into the Non-Performers category. As far as the Performers category, the induction class was stacked with popular talent as artists ACDC, Elvis Costello, The Righteous Brothers, and The Clash were all inducted along with this next artist. The Police were one of the biggest bands to come out of the post-punk era in England. Their mixture of punk, pop, and reggae, along with thoughtful lyrics, gave them five multi-platinum albums and scores of hits. Gordon Sumner was a former schoolteacher who was in the jazz fusion band Last Exit when he met drummer Stuart Copeland up in Newcastle, England. The two hit it off, and when Sting moved to London, the two got together and started jamming. Soon, they decided to start the band The Police. The guys got Henry Padovani, who was the guitarist for the group The Corsicans, to be their guitarist. While the guys were getting the police going, Sting was also in a group called Strontium 90. Stuart would sit in sometimes and play drums, and it was there that the guys met guitarist Andy Summers. Impressed by his playing, they asked him to be the police's second guitarist. He said yes, but he actually wanted to be their only guitarist. Sting and Stewart weren't thrilled with kicking Henry out of the band, but after a couple of gigs as a quartet, Henry was eventually let go. The group, now a trio, released their debut album, Outlandis D'Amour, in 1978. The album yielded the hits Roxanne, Can't Stand Losing You, and So Lonely. The first two hits were sort of banned by the BBC, which is to say that they couldn't be played at certain times. No matter, because seriously, how much better could it be for a new band to get banned by the BBC? Talk about some serious street cred at the time. Roxanne has an interesting backstory. In 1977, the group played a gig at the Nashville Club in Paris, France. During the night, Sting took in the neighborhood of the band's hotel when he came upon the city's infamous red light district. While he won't say what he did while he was there, we do know that it gave him an idea for a song about a guy who fell in love with a prostitute and who wanted her to change her ways. The group went and recorded Sting's song, but wasn't actually too thrilled with it. The manager, Miles Copeland, thought that it was really good, so they kept it. The song was released first in 1978 in England, where it went nowhere, at least at first. Then the song was released in 1979 in America, where it took off. The song was then re-released in England, where it gained traction. At that point, the police had their career off and running. Roxanne became a top 40 hit in seven countries. In New Zealand, it went top 10. In America, it got as high as number 31. The song also got a slight boost from a very unlikely source. In the movie, 48 Hours, star Eddie Murphy sang Roxanne towards the beginning of the movie. The song has since become a shower karaoke classic. Their next album, 1979's Regatta de Blanc, had the hits Walking on the Moon and Message in a Bottle. While the album hit number one in Great Britain, they were still hard-pressed to find much success in America. Outlandis only got top 25 on the Billboard albums chart, while Regatta didn't even crack the top 40. The band finally broke through in America with the 1980 albums a Mandata. That album had the top 10 American singles, Da Do Do Do, Da 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 Da, and Don't Stand So Close To Me. What helped the album at that point was MTV, which had just come on the scene by this time. The police's music videos gave them the exposure that they needed in order to crack the American market. Their next album, "Ghost in the Machine, furthered their ambition with hit songs, Every Little Thing She Does Is Magic, and Spirits in the Material World. The police really hit their peak with their next album, Synchronicity. The lead single from that album was written by Sting. It is actually one of the most misunderstood songs in rock music history. Not for its words, but for its subject matter. The song is actually about a stalker. But people everywhere think to this day that it's actually a love song. Sting says that people still come up to him and say that their babies were conceived to this song, to which that kind of makes him cringe. Sting wrote the song in 1982 while staying at James Bond author Ian Fleming's GoldenEye Estate in Jamaica. Sting was going through a divorce at the time, but says he was also thinking about government and media surveillance. He only realized after the fact just how creepy the song sounded, even though it still sounded like a love song. Sarah McLachlan actually had this same problem with her song Possession which is actually about a man who stalked her before taking his own life, but it still sounds like a love song. The music video also helped this song achieve its popularity. Directed by Godly and Cream, the video is a black and white video which uses a lot of shadow effects and imagery. The music video turned out to be one of the most recognizable music videos ever to be made and won a ton of awards. The song had further life when Sean Puff Daddy Combs heavily sampled the song for his tribute song to the Notorious B.I.G., that song being called I'll Be Missing You. Sting even graciously sang the song with Sean during a Grammy ceremony. But what was Sting not so gracious about? and rightfully so, the fact that Sean Combs sampled Sting's song without Sting's permission. Combs has to give up royalties on the song, which last figure I saw meant that Sting makes $2,000 every single day on average just from Combs' version of the song, let alone the police's original version. For those of you trying to do the quick math in your head on that, that means that Sting makes $730,000 a year in royalties on average just from Combs's song. Just because Combs didn't ask him first to use the song. And there's a lesson in there for you budding DJs and artists. Don't steal someone's song. Do the professional courtesy thing and at least ask first. The song, by the way, was the smash hit, Every Breath You Take. The police broke up after their tour to support synchronicity due to infighting, but they did get back together for a 151 concert reunion tour in 2007 and 2008, which you can actually catch on DVD or on your favorite streaming service and they are considered one of the greatest bands of the 1980s. Inducted by Gwen Stefani, The Police, with Gordon Sting Sumner, Stuart Copeland, and Andy Summer, Inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 2003. Before we get to the rest of the podcast, we'd like to tell you about our other podcast, the Music History Today podcast. Every day we tell you what happened on that date in music history, along with music releases, birthdays, and passings. So, if you like this podcast and want more music history, then please search the Music History Today podcast in audio or video form on YouTube or wherever you get your podcast from. This week, we are going to make the case for you to vote for Rage Against the Machine to be inducted into this year's class of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Rage Against the Machine was formed in 1991 in Los Angeles, California. The band has vocalist Zach De La Rocha, bassist and backing vocalist Tim Comerford, guitarist Tom Morello, and drummer Brad Wilk. Rage Against the Machine is known for their politically charged lyrics and militant left-wing political activism which is reflected in their music. This band took their name seriously, really, really seriously. The band's music combines elements of punk, hip-hop, and heavy metal and their songs often talk about issues such as police brutality, government corruption, and social inequality. The band released their self-titled debut album in 1992, which was widely praised for its powerful lyrics and socially conscious themes. Their second album, Evil Empire, was released in 1996 and got to number one on the Billboard Albums Chart. Their third album, The Battle of Los Angeles, was released in 1999 and also received a bunch of critical acclaim and sales. In addition to their studio albums, Rage Against the Machine also has released a bunch of live albums and a compilation album, Rage Against the Machine 20, which came out in 2012. That one features remastered versions of a bunch of earlier things. Two of their albums are actually considered classics. According to Rolling Stone Magazine's Top 500 Albums of All Time list, Their debut album is at number 368, and their third album, Battle of Los Angeles, is at number 426. I figure that if two of your albums are considered among the greatest to ever be recorded, that kind of says a lot. Rage Against the Machine has been credited with helping to popularize the fusion of punk and hip-hop, And they are widely regarded as one of the most influential political rock bands of all time. In addition to their music, the band is known for their activism and they have been mainly involved in numerous political protests and campaigns over the past decades. Zack actually left Rage in 2000. Then, while Zack went off to do a solo career, the rest of the guys got the late, great Chris Cornell to be their lead singer, and they changed their name to Audioslave. And then, after Chris left, they got B-Real from Cypress Hill and Chuck D from Public Enemy, and they changed their name again to Prophets of Rage. And then Zach came back in 2019, and Rage went back to being called Rage, and they also did a tour together in 2022 once the COVID lockdowns all ended. They continued to tour until Zach's torn ACL led to the postponement of some dates, Rage remains one of the most popular and influential political rock bands in the world, and while the band's music continues to inspire new generations of musicians and activists, their left-of-center politics might still rub some hall voters the wrong way. Especially when you consider that Rage has been nominated for the Rock Hall multiple times by now, like almost every other year it seems. However, In these times of political and moral corruption, the Hall would send a very strong message about how important rebellious rock music is to the culture. Because of that, and because this seems like their best chance, along with Soundgarden, to actually get in this year, Rage should hopefully be inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame this year, and you, yes you, can actually help with that at least for another couple of months. The Rock and Roll Hall of Fame is doing its fan vote this year again, and you can vote for five artists every single day right up until the beginning of April. Go to rockhall.com to place your vote every day. I will put that link in the show notes. The Songwriters Hall of Fame was started in 1969 by Johnny Mercer, along with publishers Abe Ullman and Howie Richmond. As of right now, the Hall of Fame is part of the Grammy Museum in Los Angeles, California. Its hours of operation are from Sunday to Thursday from 10.30 a.m. to 6.30 p.m., Friday and Saturday from 10 a.m. to 8 p.m., and closed on Tuesdays. However. Check with the Grammy Museum's website for updated hours and pricing as their times shift with each season. There are still plans to construct a physical hall in the basement of the famous Brill Building in New York City, where a lot of songwriters got their starts, including Carole King. Back in the late 1960s, while in art college, young Farouk Bulsara became friends with bassist Tim Staffel, who was in a band called Smile. Farouk became a fan of the band and ended up joining them when Staffel left the band to form another band. Farouk joined the band and did two name changes. The first, was that he persuaded the rest of the members of the band, guitarist Brian May and drummer Roger Taylor, to change the name of the band from Smile to Queen. The second was that Farouk Bolsara changed his name to Freddie Mercury. Queen played with different bassists for a couple of years until they found the perfect bassist in John Deacon. In 1973, the band signed a record deal and released their debut album, Queen, the critics liked the progressive metal sound of the band, but the public didn't actually find the album, even with the now well-known lead single from that album, Keep Yourself Alive. Their second album, Queen II, found success both with critics and the general public. That album had the classic Seven Seas of Rye. In 1974, the band released Sheer Heart Attack, which gave them even bigger success with songs like Killer Queen, Now I'm Here, and Stone Cold Crazy. Album number four came around in 1975. A Night at the Opera became a worldwide smash hit. The album had the hits Love of My Life, You're My Best Friend, and another song that would chart in the top ten three different times in America. The second time with the help of a movie about two kids with a cable access tv show and the third time with the help of an academy award-winning performance according to historians some of the ideas for the song bohemian rhapsody were formulated in the late 1960s especially the beginning part where the singer of the song talks about the fact that he just killed a man the song, All Planned Out by Freddie Mercury beforehand, starts with a 49-second intro, then goes into an almost two-minute ballad, then Brian May's 25-second guitar solo, then the one-minute opera that everybody and their grandmother love singing, and then a quick little 47-second rock portion, and has a one-minute ending. All totaled, It is a 5-minute, 55-second mini-rock opera about a guy who accidentally killed a man, sold his soul to the devil, then called God to help save him. That would be the opera portion in the center. The band started recording the song in late August of 1975 and took almost three weeks to record it. They had rehearsed it three weeks beforehand. They layered over 100 different tracks onto the song, But Brian May's guitar solo is all him, one track only. The record label, as you can imagine, was not pleased with a six-minute song. They thought it didn't fit into the cookie-cutter four-minutes-or-less corporate radio world at that time. So the band took the song to Capitol Radio DJ Kenny Everett, who played it. He teased it first by playing little bits of it until the public wanted more. It then got picked up by other radio stations, and after that, Queen's record label Electra released the song on October 31st, 1975. The song Bohemian Rhapsody became a huge hit, especially in England. In America, it actually went top ten. The song also sold over six million copies worldwide. The music video that was made for the song is also considered a template for how music videos were made back in the 1970s. The song has been popularized a few more times. The first was during the unfortunate early death of Freddie Mercury from complications from AIDS in 1991. The second was when a movie called Wayne's World about two guys who had a cable access TV show used the song in the now-famous head-banging-in-the-car scene. The third was in the past few years, when the band's biopic, Bohemian Rhapsody, with a Best Actor Academy Award-winning performance by Rami Malek as the late, great Freddie Mercury, took the song back into the top ten. After that, the band became dominant through the late 1970s into the early 1980s with albums A Day at the Races, News of the World, Jazz, The Game, The Works, and A Kind of Magic. They also had hit soundtracks for the movies Flash Gordon, Iron Eagle, and Highlander. Of course, if you saw the movie Bohemian Rhapsody, then you kind of already know that the band's popularity started to go down in America as New Wave took over the industry. They were still, however, a big touring draw and were hugely popular in England. See their legendary performance at Live Aid as proof. Freddie's health, though, started to deteriorate from the effects of the AIDS virus as he made the band's final couple of albums. And you can see the beating his body took in the band's video for the song These Are the Days of Our Lives. After Freddie's death on November 24, 1991, the band held a tribute concert at Wembley Stadium, site of their legendary Live Aid performance. Then they tried different lead singers, including Robbie Williams from Take That, before finally landing on American Idol contestant Adam Lambert. They've been touring ever since, although bassist John Deacon left the band in 1997. Queen are one of the biggest-selling musical artists of all time. with claim sales of up to 300 million copies and are the third best-selling band in England. Rolling Stone magazine voted Freddie the second-greatest frontman of all time and the 18th-greatest singer of all time while voting the band the 52nd-greatest artist of all time. Queen, inducted into the Songwriters Hall of Fame, in Los Angeles, California, in 2003. And that is it for this episode of the Music Halls of Fame podcast. For more podcast episodes, which drop every Thursday in audio and video form, then please like, subscribe, and click the notification bell on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio Podcasts, CastBox, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast from.